Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. Welcome to Diner Talks with James. I'm James, my friend. So excited to have you out here for another episode of Diner Talks with James. This is super exciting. We got my boy Antonio Neves Never Neves in the building coming out and rocking with us. He is an incredible man, and I can't wait to tell you about him. But first, my friends, we got some standards here. We got some standards in the diner. We got to start off with tonight's top three, top three. All right, let's go it going, go it, go it going. How about let's get it going too. Now, here is a random fact about me that I don't know if I've shared yet on this, but I am a car nerd. I just really like cars. I've always liked cars. I've grown up liking cars. And so I still read like Motor Trend and some of those kind of things. And so a big moment happened in automobile history this week. That's pretty cool. Uh, but this car company named the Tua, I think it's Tuatara, Tuatera, I'm not exactly sure, broke the uh, production car speed record. This car went 300 17 miles an hour. There have only been two or three production cars to ever cross the 300 mile an hour barrier. This car did it at 317, beating the previous record by almost 11 miles an hour. Anyway, I'm nerding out over this, so I thought we'd talk about some dream cars of mine. So, First off, dream car mine is the Pagani Huayra. Incredible individual. Excuse me. Pagani is an incredible man. I've gotten to go to the factory in Italy. It was awesome. This car is named after a famous Argentinian wind, and I think it's one of the most beautiful cars I've ever seen in my life. Next favorite car of all time would have to be... Oh, man, it's a tough call. I'm probably going to have to go with the Koenigsegg Regera. And just stick with me if you're not car people. But I'm just telling you, it's a beautiful car. This guy completely, Christian von Koenigsegg, completely created a brand new type of clutch, a brand new kind of engine. Because he said, what I want a car to do, there's no car that can do it right now. So I'm going to recreate the engine. I think that's badass. But my all-time favorite car, my friends, 1988 Lamborghini Countach Special Edition Bright Red. There you go, my friends. Fun fact about me and also my three top cars right now. Next, my boy Antonio. My boy Antonio, he did he did a little uh you know, he did a little uh, TV stint, right? Did some impressive journalism. He also did some hosting and whatnot. And he hosted uh, some shows on one of my favorite channels ever, Nickelodeon. So the last two, the last two things the last two things are in honor of Nickelodeon's uh, of Antonio's time in Nickelodeon. So first off, my top three favorite Nickelodeon cartoons of all time. Now I'm curious. You probably have some favorite cartoons of all time as well. You can let me know what those are in the chat if you want. But for me, Nickelodeon top three cartoons. I'm also going to date myself right now, so I'm sorry if I insult any of my younger listeners. But first off, Rocco's Modern Life. It's great. Just a classic show. Uh, I feel like there's, see, I love Doug, but Doug's not making my top three. Doug, if I was doing top four, top four, maybe Doug would get in there basically because of Patty Mayonnaise, just a good human being. But alas, we're out here. Top three, top three, Rocco's Modern Life. Next, Rugrats. Are you kidding me? 
Rugrats maybe single-handedly taught me about the Jewish faith. Besides the fact that I grew up on Long Island around a lot of Jewish folks, I'm fortunate enough to have them teach me a lot about their faith. But the Rugrats are an incredible life lesson every time. I love it. Shout out to Tommy Pickles. All right. And last but not least, this one's a little controversial. I don't know why it was on Nickelodeon. It probably was, shouldn't have been on Nickelodeon. But I, growing up, I was a giant Ren and Stimpy fan. Even had the Ren and Stimpy comics. I even had a hat that had Ren. I had another hat that had Mr. Horse on it. I think Ren and Stimpy is an incredibly hysterical and disgusting, amazing time. Next, last but not least, top three, top three, Nickelodeon top game shows. Again, going to date myself. I can't wait to have Antonio laugh at me about some of these. First off, Double Dare. Do you ever watch that Family Double Double Dare? That was a classic, y'all. I wanted to be on that show so bad, but my dad didn't even like playing Monopoly, let alone Double Dare. So that didn't happen. Uh, also, <laughs> also uh, next, The Legends of the Hidden Temple. So classic. How badly did you want to be on that show? That show was amazing. I wanted to be on it. I knew all the puzzles before those damn kids, probably because by that point I was a few years older. But let's not ignore that. Next, last but not least, I'll tell you a quick story. Guts is the last one. One of the greatest childhood game shows of all time. I wanted to go to the top of the aggro crag. I once had a very embarrassing moment where after school I came home and I was watching Guts and I started crying. And I started crying and my mom said, what are you crying about? And I said, I want to go up the aggro crag. Oh, that's a humbling thing that I just admitted out loud. All right, enough of that, my friends. <laughs> Coming out to the stage. Coming out to the stage right now is my boy, Antonio Neves. Antonio Neves is one of the most impactful speakers I've ever had the opportunity to sit in the audience in. But beyond that, he and I have become great friends. He's a man whose wisdom I cherish. He asks some of the best questions that I know and that I've ever been asked before. So I'm excited to have him on the other side. Though knowing him, he'll throw some back at me me and that's fine with me as well but Antonio one of the greatest question askers I know he's a very powerful coach he doesn't coach everybody now but I'm sure if you ask him real nicely he'll let you in there uh, but he also is the author of a book that is coming out very soon it's called stop living on autopilot it's got a preposterously long subtitle so I'll have him tell you that but it's called stop living on autopilot it's available for pre-order on Amazon right now he also hosts an incredible podcast called the best thing and he is an incredible man i'm excited to bring you out he's got a smile that'll charm you in seconds the man the myth the daddy of two beautiful twins that's how twins work <laughs> antonio nevs why you got me rolling over here already with your l desk over there that's what i'm talking about and i was really excited to hear uh, your three favorite Nickelodeon shows, man. It just, it just took me back to some memories I haven't thought about in quite some time. Did you grow up watching Nickelodeon? Oh, of course I grew up watching Nickelodeon. Though, mm -hmm. funny enough, my favorite Nickelodeon shows come from the era when I was actually working for Nickelodeon. But like you, early on, man, I loved Double Dare. I loved, I mean, I was watching reruns, I guess, of a show called You Can't Do That on oh, television. Sure. Yeah, yeah, great wild. show. I had a show on the show, on Nickelodeon called Romeo, uh, which was which was a lot of fun as well. Yeah, creatively titled. <laughs> hey, you got the Romeo show. <laughs> Master P is now apparently a uh, proud Minneapolis resident. He just moved out here, so he's just up here making him say, "Uh, na na okay. na na." There you go, the ice cream man. 
the ice cream man. I can't I can't wait to see one of those gold plated tanks rolling down the street. <laughs> no limit, baby. No limit. Everybody's no limit like, what? They're like, what are they talking about? They don't need to know. They Not every joke's for everybody out here, Antonio. That's, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> my guy, I got a question. We're talking in the diner right now. Now, um, are you a late night eater? You know, I, I know you're a man who respects fitness. I also know that you're someone who does a little bit of mindfulness and whatnot. So sometimes that also doesn't equate to someone who eats French toast and eggs and bacon at 1 a.m. But uh, are, do you enjoy yourself a late night meal? There was a period in my life a period in my life when I loved a late night meal. First and foremost, that late night meal typically was cereal, man. I don't know about oh, you, but yeah. you can't you can't go wrong with a late night bowl of cereal. If you get some some like cinnamon life cereal and you let it hang out in the milk milk for an extended period, it's amazing. Uh, but also, I lived in New York. Though I live in Los Angeles now, I lived in New York City for a long time, mm-hmm. and most of our meals started late, not midnight late, but you know <laughs> nine, ten o'clock sometimes. So I got used to eating late. These days, man, I'm trying to get 12 hours between my meals at minimum. So if I finish a meal at 7 p.m., I'm trying not to eat again until 7 a.m. at the earliest. Mm. But I can appreciate a late night meal for sure. That's it. That's it. I respect it, man. I respect it. So now are you doing the are you is that a fasting thing where you wait 12 hours? Like so you wake up in the morning, you're eating at 7 a.m., then 7 p.m. and then 7 a.m. the next day. It really depends. So, I mean, not not to get all into health and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there is something called intermittent fasting. And okay. some people, that can be 12 hours, that can be 14 hours, it can be even a longer period. Before you start doing that, do your research in advance. But long story short, you know, our body, man, it's kind of like, it needs those 12 hours, like to be the kind of the garbage disposal system, the, those 12 hours. So between the last meal and the first meal, a lot of functional medicine doctors I know, they all say, hey, have at least 12 hours so it can do its work. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we got a lot of bad information uh, a long time ago about having a whole a lot of many meals throughout the day. But we can't forget, man, we come from uh, hunters and gatherers. Those cats ate when they got food. Like they, sure, weren't, yeah. they right. weren't having like six meals a day. Like, yo, we just we just cubbed a uh, a baby <laughs> bear, which I probably shouldn't say that right now, but they're going <laughs> to. They're going to they're going to eat it right then and there. They're not like just chilling and letting it hang out. So our body isn't designed to eat all the damn time like Mm -hmm. we do. So anyhow, not to bore you with the details in in clubbing baby bears, which I don't advocate just for the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Here at Diner Talks with James, we do not advocate the clubbing of any animals. All right, please continue. Sorry to put that in there. (laughs) I try to get a minimum of 12 hours between my last meal of the day and my first meal of the next day. Okay. Okay. I did not know that about you. I know I, I knew you were someone that cared uh, about mind, body, and spirit. Um, and uh, but we we never gotten into the weeds about it. So I appreciate you telling me about that, dude. Yeah, man. I, I've been on a bit of a. I hate to call it a health kick. So I think sometimes when people get on health, because they call it a health kick, but I really look at it as a life kick, man. We may get into it a little bit later on, but there were some times over the course of the past few years, frankly, I just didn't find myself feeling good. And the main culprit when I really paid attention was my diet and my fitness and what I was doing. And uh, I realized there were some key things that I could do to to, to write that. Uh, I've tested different things here and there. I'm not always perfect with this stuff. I, I love to, my Traeger grill is right. I'm looking at Ooh. it right now over here. Ooh. I love to grill. I, I love to eat a whole bunch of different foods and all that. But I'm just a little bit more conscious about, about what I'm putting in my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Now, is that something that uh, is that something that was spurred by anything? Like, I mean, you mentioned that you were kind of going through a little bit of a time. Like, how did you know that it was like, hey, this is probably food related, not necessarily like 
mental health? Like, I mean, how did you were like, this is maybe, maybe this is it. How did you center in on, you know, potentially this is a, uh, a, a, a dietary shift I need to make? Yeah, first and foremost, I was feeling like a lot of people do. And that's like feeling like crap. I found myself with low energy, uh, like just not having the energy that I used to have. And I blamed mm-hmm. it on maybe getting older and those types of things. I'm a guy that in college was a collegiate athlete and I love to work out, but I just wasn't feeling great. And a quick story, and I actually talk about this a little bit in my book. And James, you know a little bit about this. Back in 2016, man, I found myself at a moment I was playing with my kids a year after they were born. And I was on the floor just hanging out with them. And something just didn't feel right, man. I, I mm-hmm. thought I was about to have a heart attack or, or pass out. Ended up going to the emergency room. And they did every test you could think on you, boy. I wore a heart monitor for a variety of weeks. Went through MRIs, CAT scans, and all those things. And had thousands of dollars of, a dollar, of, of medical bills. And the diagnosis was, we think you're stressed. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, thanks, man. I, I spent all that money. But a culprit of that, a lot of it was one different things that were going on in my, in my life that I needed to address that I was conveniently ignoring, which we have human yeah. beings that uh, can do for a long time until I like to think about life. Sometimes we have different challenges going on and it's like shaking up a, a Coke, a Coke bottle. And at some point it's going to explode. And typically it explodes when you least want it to explode. And that was going on in my life. But then one of the things I started doing after that was to look and check on uh, my diet. And I started working with some different functional medicine doctors and started getting different labs and tested I otherwise wouldn't get. Mm -hmm. And I found there's some things that just weren't great for my body. Um, I found out that I was eating a lot of crap that I thought was healthy. I was a big processed food kind of guy. Like most of my food came out of boxes at the time. Uh, And so now I'm really all about as much as possible trying to just eat real food. And when I say real food, something that doesn't come out of a box, it's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there was a genesis of, I need to pay attention because something's not uh, registering correctly in this body of mine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope you still every once in a while grab a bowl of cereal, brother. I mean, oh, come on, man. Like, yeah. Uh, And I got to make sure I don't feel guilty about it. I mean, I just made the most delicious uh, bread pudding the other day. So I go for it. Don't get me wrong. We have fun in our household. I love Mm -hmm. to cook. I love to eat. I just have to make sure uh, I got to look at my, my, my portion control. Yeah. What'd you put in your bread pudding, man? You put raisins in your bread pudding? What are we doing? Yeah, we got a little, come on, a little ice cream? What are we doing listen, over here? Listen, a little white you, chocolate? What's happening? We can't talk about no raisins. People always want to put raisins and stuff and mess it up. I can't put raisins <laughs> in my bread pudding. I can't put clear, raisins. White people want to talk about putting <laughs> raisins and stuff <laughs> like chicken salad. <laughs> potato salad and all that uh, i'm not listen now but folks my, my household raisins were not allowed in any warm meal to be clear uh it was a pretty straightforward bread pudding i got out of magnolia cookbook you know our good friends down there in waco oh, texas sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, the gains that we know very well it's sponsored by magnolia yeah Ex- exactly uh it was basic man uh basic heavy cream some mm-hmm. nice 60 percent cacao chocolate Woo! Uh, the recipe actually asked for some zest of orange. And I was like, zest, no, no, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. I, so I decided, but it was delicious. The family <laughs> loved it. And I freezed a whole bunch for later. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, I agree. I but listen, raisins do mess things up. So anyone who's considering putting raisins in anything, if it's not raisin <laughs> brand, leave it out. <laughs> I once was in, uh, I was in Reno, Nevada, had the best bread pudding of my life. Can't forget where you have your best bread pudding. Um, and, uh, and they smothered it in white chocolate and it was outrageous. It was, it was, it was a strong, strong product. That sounds um, like a good combo. I, mean, I, I love desserts. Like I love br- <laughs> chocolate brownies and I love bread pudding, all those d- d- delicious things. Yeah. So we're friends there. 
Listen, here's a place where we're not friends, though. My dad, my dad is upset. Bread pudding without raisins. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Robolata. I apologize. I'm not sure what's uh, if Long Island got the memo or not. Uh, but yeah, we can't put the raisins in there. Uh, I go both ways. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but uh, I love that, man. I love that. Uh, Antonio, here's a cool thing. You mentioned that you, you know, you spent some time in New York. Um, and now, you know, when you showed up to New York, you know, you weren't like, oh man, good thing I got this trust fund real quick. Um, right. Like you weren't out here rolling in the dough. You weren't like limo service, everything like that. Uh, you showed up to New York, uh, with the, with a dime and a nickel and, um, and, uh, trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents as they say. Um, but tell, tell us a little bit about what drove you to New York, right? You were coming from, from Michigan, correct? Um, yeah, it's an, yeah interesting, tell, tell story, man. it's an interesting backstory because I come from a, a small town in Michigan. Frankly, man, it, it's one of those towns where people don't leave growing up where I where I was raised. Mm-hmm. You could always get a good job. You could get in the union. You could get a factory job. That That's what I figured I would do. You know, my, as my father's was a factory union worker his whole life, I figured that'd be my life as well. Yeah. Early on, I realized there was another path, thank goodness. And I was able to be uh, to go to college and I was a first generation college student. And then, James, I did what they told me to do in college. I got that good job everybody talks about. I was a sales representative for a major food company, had a company car, had a 401k plan, had benefits, and boy, was I miserable. Boy, (laughs) was I miserable. I, I got that good job everybody talks about, and I was like, what's good about this? Because the truth is, growing up, man, I always love stories. I love being a storyteller. I love watching mm-hmm. stories on television. But where I came from, there was no there was no one out in my world that I saw ever doing that. I didn't know you could move to Chicago. I didn't know you could move to New York. I didn't know you could move to L.A. Yeah. But after a year of that, that good job, and for that whole year of working that good job, I, I felt this tap on my shoulder saying, this is a good job but it's not your job. And I learned one of those lessons, man, that is so hard for people to learn. And so I'm going to hit somebody in the face with this right now. And that is just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're supposed to be doing it. Mm. I was good at that good job selling cheese. Frankly, I worked for Kraft Foods. Um, (laughs) But after a year, nearly a year in that job, I decided to do the scariest thing I ever did in my life, man. And to your point, I moved to New York City, arrived in the worst airport in America, LaGuardia, Shout out to LaGuardia. Uh, changed, man. They just, it's beautiful now. I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it. You know, it's like, oh, you haven't talked to Jim in a long time? He's changed. No, Jim is still drinking. You just don't know. Uh, arrived at LaGuardia with about $800 in my bank account. Uh, didn't know anyone. This is before LinkedIn, before Facebook, before Twitter, all those social media stuff. I knew one person. One person that I met when I studied abroad in Spain, that person was kind enough to let me sleep on their floor at their apartment in Astoria, Queens for a variety of months when I just worked jobs. And my goal was to break in the television industry. And I worked, man, I worked temp jobs in different office buildings in Manhattan. Uh, I worked at H&M selling clothes in the in the evenings, did catering jobs, selling, uh, serving food to people on the weekends. One time I, I served Lawrence Fishburne, some risotto. Pretty sure it did not have raisins in it because raisins <laughs> and risotto do not go together. And I pursued the television thing. And mm-hmm. it took a good two, I think I arrived in New York basically January. Uh, and it was about two and a half years later that I found my first quote unquote break on television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so you moved out. So the, 
at some point in time, you said, you know what? I had this dream and I want to like, what, what was the original dream? Was the dream television? Was the dream a specific thing on television? Was it like, were you pointing the ship at something specific or was the dream fame? Like, what was it for you? You want to get heavy? Always. I'm going to stay heavy, bro. Uh, on, the, on, on the surface, the dream was working in television. I'd got a taste of what it was like to be on a stage when I had an internship at Walt well, Disney World doing their college program where uh, I was a host at one of their attractions. Honey, I shrunk the audience, which no longer exists. Shout out Rick Moranis. Hope he's it doing great, okay. Though. It was a great product. Oh, it was a great product. Um, <laughs> and I got a taste of that. And I like, oh, I love being in front of audiences and I love telling stories, et cetera. And so I went to New York City with the hopes of breaking in the television industry. What I really was seeking was validation. Mm. I was seeking acceptance. I, I, it took me many years to get it, but there was something really unique about going to auditions and going to these meetings and getting rejected. It was a, a, as if I love, oh, you're good, but we're not for, not, you're not for us. It was as if I liked that rejection. And then finally, every now and then, you know, if you're a good commercial actor, you can book, what, maybe one out of 50 auditions if, if yep. you're good, probably. Mm -hmm. And I've done commercials and all that. But when that one person says, we pick you, man, I've never done a crack, but I bet it's like doing that. It's like that hit of doing crack or, or something like that. Because you're like, what? You want me? And all of a sudden, you're of value. But we've, I've been of value all along. But it, it took that external validation from this party or that party or those round of applause for me to feel comfortable in myself. And the reason why I crave that validation, frankly, is because I had an upbringing where I didn't get as much of that as I as I really, really craved. And so I, I sought it out in an industry that a lot of people, and you, you know performers, James, so I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, these men and women that are pursuing sometimes this field of work for many of the the wrong reasons. Maybe the maybe wrong reasons is the wrong way to put it, because I actually do love that work. I love being a storyteller. I love connecting. Yeah. Uh, but I initially, I was seeking validation. Mm-hmm. That's powerful, man. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, I think that validation is a wonderful drug, right? It's, it's, uh, I, re I recommend it to most people. Uh, it's, uh, 10 out of 10 would recommend validation to anybody. And I am also someone who very frequently does not allow myself to internally validate myself. Um, and that's something that I really struggle with. So while you were pursuing this dream, right, and, and you were starting to book a couple things here and there, and you're right, right, it's like one of every 50 commercials, even, even less for other types of gigs and whatnot, especially without management representation. And so, um, so while you were chasing it, at what point, at what point did you realize, oh, this, this ain't it? Right. Or, or did you realize validation is it and I can get it somewhere else that is way safer for my self-esteem and maybe my bank account? Like, like what, what was that switch for you? It took a very long time for me to get it. So again, that first gig was dating myself. Now my first break with Nickelodeon was 2002 and it probably took James until 2009, 2010, when I realized what was going on. And I was so fortunate because by that time I had transitioned from working in the entertainment industry to doing more journalism work. And I was working with NBC at the time. I was a host of a, a business show profiling all these amazing organizations across the country. And after the first season of that show, uh, my executive producer at NBC said, hey, we want you to work with an executive coach. And I didn't know what an executive coach was at the time. We want you to work with an executive coach so you can understand what it's like 
uh, to, to work with top level CEOs that you're interviewing so you can get a better inside look of these men and women. A little did I know when I was working with her and basically treating being a journalist, learning about her work with these CEOs and executives she worked with, slowly but surely I was getting interested as well. And she started asking me questions. And that led me to slowly but surely doing some personal development workshops. I mean, I remember that first that first personal development workshop that I went to, and I've gone to so many over the years. That's when the layers started being peeled back, if you will. I think a lot of us were kind of like homes that need a new paint job. And typically people would just paint over the old paint and you just get all this paint. But at some point, you, you're really going to do yourself a service if you scrape back all that old paint, right? And get back to the core and sand it down and prime it and put the paint on. But we like to put paint on top of everything. And that's what I was doing, frankly, with my issues, with my pain, et cetera. By the way, uh, you, you've done personal development work. You, you, you facilitate these workshops. One time when I was working at NBC and I was leaving a shoot and I was going to a personal development workshop for the weekend and someone said, hey, man, what happens at those? And I was like, we just cry a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but we actually, do, but actually, we do cry a lot. Uh, and you know, this makes me think about two men. I was giving a talk once down at, at Georgia, Georgia State, and I'm sure you probably had an opportunity to speak there before. Mm -hmm. I remember one time a kid came up to me after a talk and he said, hey, how, how do you get verified on social media? I see you got that that verified badge on Twitter. And I and I was like, well, tell me more about, you know, very rarely do I give you an answer. I'm always going to ask a question like yeah, you do. No, it's really annoying. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, <laughs> hey, you're, you're pretty great at it as well, my friend. Um, we, that's us doing a, a public service. Uh, and I asked him a few questions like, well, tell me, why, why do you want to get verified? And he said, to prove that it's me. And I was like, well, is there another you that I should be aware of? <laughs> and he started laughing. And he's like, no. I said, well, tell me, why do you really want to be verified? And he was like, to show that I'm important. James, that's the same thing I wanted when I wanted to get on TV, when I wanted to be on the show. I wanted to show that I was important. And what I told that kid in that moment was something I'm sure he didn't want to hear, was that no blue check mark can verify you, Right. Mm -hmm. We, we've all been verified the day that we were born, regardless of what your faith is. We have been verified the day that we are born. And that's what I came to realize as I was doing these personal development workshops, as I was getting coached myself, as I learned to invest in the coach and how beautiful it is to have that experience. Uh, I advocate therapy for everyone, but there's a, I think there's a strong difference between therapy and coaching. And, I, and I've done a whole bunch of both, and I love them both. Uh, and that was the shift for me. And also just briefly, as, as, as my television career, as I was choosing it to wind down with NBC, I realized, James, that I was getting so much joy working and coaching some of the younger employees that were on the production team that I was working on. Sometimes I'll get more joy out of that than doing some of the actual work that I was doing. And that really started started me on the line of getting a little bit curious about that work. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. And especially as, uh, I mean, I would assume once you sh shifted more into the journalism work, right, you became naturally more, you're already a curious person, but like, I mean, you're just, like you said, you're hanging out with all these individuals that are doing some pretty cool things and getting some pretty cool opportunities that can't help but open the brain and open the eyes up to maybe there is more. Right. Um, and especially for you coming out of a, you know, a small town in Michigan, I mean, smitten with the mitten and uh, but, uh, you know, coming from a small town and also, uh, you know, I think you kind of mentioned earlier that you didn't get a lot of validation when you were growing up as well. Right. That's something that you weren't given. Um, 
you know, I would assume, but basically what I'm hearing is that's either like you weren't getting that from teachers, maybe you were getting from coaches because you pursued athletics or whatnot, but maybe you weren't getting it from family um, or, or whatnot. Why do you think validation was something that you wanted? Well, it's a couple of things. And I, th- I think you bring up a really interesting point about, well, let me rewind the validation that I crave. You know, I, I had a, what you would call, and I, I got to make sure when I share the story, James, that I'm not complaining and, I, and I'm not sharing a woe is me story by no means, because I'm appreciative of everything that has happened to me. I believe people that showed up in my life or even didn't show up are doing the best that they could. And it has served me in, in many, many ways. Um, growing up, I experienced a decent amount of what you would call instability. You know, before I graduated from high school, I moved nearly 15 times in my small hometown uh, between my mother and father. Each of them were divorced three different times. So a total of six different divorces. Uh, there was no quote unquote stability in my life. I, I moved all the time. Uh, figures that I really needed in my life at certain times just weren't there. Those adult figures. I was fortunate and I was blessed at sports or were my saving grace. Uh, people always, when they're going through a tough time and they ask for support or advice, one of the biggest things I tell them to do is have somewhere to be. Mm. You get in trouble when you don't have somewhere to be. And for me, I was fortunate when I had somewhere to be, when I had to be a football practice, when I had to be a track practice, when I had to be a baseball practice or basketball practice. And that's where I got the parenting type of vibe and the energy from people being at those events. Um, And so I think that's where the validation came from, because a lot of that stuff that I really wanted at home, frankly, wasn't there. I don't think, um, you know, again, you think about your parents, especially now when you look at your parents as you get older and I'm a parent now, you really do realize folks are are doing what they could, the best that they could with the information that they had available. To be clear, my mom's a ridiculously loving person, my my biggest supporter. She may be watching right now. My dad equally had my back in in different ways. so that was a kind of the, the genesis, if you will, of me kind of seeking out that that validation. But also you mentioned something earlier, and I think you know, having the opportunity in my television career to meet, meet so many dynamic individuals uh, and interview so many amazing people from Grammy and Oscar Award winners, former heads of state, people you see on TV, you read about, everyone to that, that mother that just lost her kid to, to gun violence. You just see all these different worlds. And I think up until that point, I always thought, James, life was kind of like being in a, in a corner. And you got you got option A or you got option B. You have these two corners of, that you're looking at in a room. Okay, I can do X or I can do Y. It wasn't until I started doing personal development work that I realized I could turn around. <laughs> I wasn't stuck to just option A or option B. Like, yo, I, I can turn around and look at this fireplace back here right now. Like, there is more open to us. When I say more, I'm not just talking about more money and more resources, though all those things are great. Uh, but there, the, the, what an opportunity to take advantage of this life. It makes me think about a friend of mine. His grandfather once told him, and you'll love this. He said, live an interesting life. No one wants to talk to an old person who doesn't have interesting stories to tell. And I want to live an interesting life, man. And uh, I've been fortunate enough uh, through certain windows to, to get a glimpse of certain things. And that has allowed me, and this is a continuous journey to be clear, has allowed me to expand where for a lot of my life, James, I contracted, especially when the moment got big. I would go, oh, what? You like me? What? You, you, you like me? Let me contract and pull back from you. What? I'm about to get a raise. Things are going good in my career. Oh, let me contract because you might take it away from me. I had to learn how to accept how to receive and, and step into it, if you will. And I'm still it's still a journey, by the way. Well, of course. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, that, that never com- gets completely easier, but it is work worth doing. Uh, and uh, and I appreciate you sharing a little bit about about your childhood. You know, I'm I'm curious. I'm curious if if I can ask another question about it. You know, I I see you being very cautious. I hear you being very cautious about the way that you speak about it, right? Like, you know, you say, this isn't a woe is me tale. This isn't a, you know, I don't want you to picture me like started from the bottom. Now I'm here. Any, but right. Like, like, you know, I hear you, I hear you sharing uh, that. And, and I, and I understand it, right. I understand that, uh, that that is not something that you want individuals to feel. You don't want sympathy. You're not looking for empathy as it may be. If people have a similar journey, um, but at some point, at some point, I'm wondering who gets to hear a little bit more of that story, because the way that you share it, the way that you share it makes it seem like it was like, hey, you know, times were tough. We had a few things going on, you know, and didn't have a pot to piss in. But, hey, you know what I mean? People smile. And when, every day you wake up, you got to smile. You know what I mean? So, I mean, like, yeah. anyway, so then I was on MTV and then I was on Nickelodeon and then, you know, and then, you know, here we are. At, right. I mean. But it's interesting because there is there's a lot of grit that you had to build during that time, right? There's a lot of uh, self-esteem crushing and rebuilding, and there's a lot of stuff that you went through that has shaped the individual that you are, right? Um, and and that's powerful. And so I'm just curious. I'm, I'm not necessarily asking you to go deeper into that right now, but I'm wondering, when do you allow yourself to tell more of that story as opposed to just like making sure that individuals don't just feel bad for you. Yeah. Uh, well, one, you know, a lot of the story. I mean, there are the conversations that you and I have had, of course, uh, you're, there, there are people in my life that I 100% trust yeah. that I'll have that I'll have conversations with. I'll get raw and I'll get rugged with them and, and just be real with them. You're one of those people. Uh, there's not a lot of those people, but you're one of those people that even if we don't talk for months and you, you know, you respond to my text four weeks later, which you typically do, uh, i'll share that with people um a couple of things a a couple of things come up um one it people you know we talk about grit and resilience a lot nowadays right and how important it is but i think there's another they're 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 fancy words they're they're set right now they're all the rage they've been the rage for a while i think another word we have to really look at a lot is compassion as well i don't Mm. think we talk about compassion enough Mm. i think something else we can look at you know let me put it this way. I'll say it like, I, y'all don't know you're the age that you come from, but I come from this interesting age where social media, for example, people, a lot of times you see me even thinking in my head right now, how am I like, how I'm calculating doo, 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 the computer's going right now. You are, you're, yep. <laughs> a lot of people ask me, how come I don't show my kids faces on social media? Hmm. You get to see my friends, kids faces on social media because you're in a closed circle, the, the green circle folks on Instagram where the, the close friends get to see. But not every one of those 19, 20,000 people that follow me get to see it. Yep. I'm of the age, James, where when I was a kid, I don't know if you remember this. I remember going over to a, fa- a family member's house or a friend's house. And if things went good, you hung out. At some point, something magical happened. You know what happened? Somebody went to another room or they pulled open a drawer in an old China cabinet and they brought out a photo album. They brought mm-hmm. out a photo album. They would open <laughs> it up and it'd be stained yellow mm-hmm. and it, the sticky paper behind these photos. And it told a story of their life. How yeah. intimate is that? 
the reason why I don't show the photos of my kids on social media to strangers is because one thing I truly believe, James, is not everyone deserves to hear your story. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has earned hearing your story. In this social media age of authenticity and transparency, I see people sharing things. And the first thing that goes on my mind is when I'm seeing somebody crying again on a TikTok is what you just shared. Have you shared that with a friend? Yeah. Have you shared that with the family? When, when something traumatic happens to you, is your first outlet your phone? Is your first outlet your computer? I'm fortunate nowadays, and I thank goodness these things didn't exist in the early, you know, when I was a coming of age, if you will, but I can reach out to people that I know will pick up the phone where I can have some real heart-to-heart conversations, where I can get a little bit more raw, a little bit more valuable. I will share things on social media to, to bring people in, to let them know that I'm no different from them. When you read the book, that I peel back a lot of layers on that book. Clear, um, if you keep a lot of stuff inside, which I'm really good at keeping stuff inside, at some point it's going to explode. And I, I don't even know if you know this, man, but a few years ago, how that manifested to me when I was going through that those health challenges, when I was getting MRIs and wearing heart monitors and all that kind of fun stuff, I went through a period of time in 2016, man, when I, where I was a secret cigarette smoker. I did not know that. I never thought in a million years, I have a grandmother that died from emphysema. I have family members that have been smokers their whole life. My, my mother uh, still smokes. It's, it's a choice we make. And by the way, I just now, now, remember when you could go to bars or clubs and you, you, you leave from college or you come back smelling like smoke? It took me to be in the age that I am now to realize when I went to school every day, I smelled like I just came from a club. <laughs> because I was in my mom's car with the windows up in the winter in Michigan, surrounded by smoke. <laughs> coming in wondering why I'm shaking because I had that nicotine I needed some needed a nicotine hit but a few <laughs> years back I, I developed a secret a cigarette smoking habit mm-hmm. and I never thought in a million years that's something I would do this stress had gotten so so high it was so intensive of being a year into my marriage and going through some challenges of having two kids uh, that were a year old learning what it meant to be a father when I really didn't have one regularly in my life, uh, trying to figure out some financial things, et cetera, where on paper, on the internet, everything looked good, right? Mm-hmm. Everything yeah. looked good on the internet, but internally I was in alleys in Santa Monica smoking cigarettes and not just any cigarette. I was smoking Camel Crush cigarettes. Woo! These came in a neon package, man. You had to click this thing to ignite the menthol. Like I really went in, bro. One day, just this this story's going somewhere. One day I was smoking one of those cigarettes in an alley and I was hiding. Here's how gangster it was. I wore a gardening, I brought a gardening glove with me everywhere so I could smoke <laughs> with the glove on so my wife wouldn't smell it. I brought extra, I had, I had extra t-shirts. I, I, when I was deep into you this. You went hard, dude. I, I went hard, bro. I, had, I was wearing this. <laughs> one day I was smoking a cigarette in a Santa Monica street alley wearing this bright green gardening glove and a homeless man walked by me. And he asked if he could bum a cigarette. And I was like, yeah, of course, man. Looked like he had seen better days. Gave him a few cigarettes. Lit a cigarette for him. And then he said to me, uh, he's like, yo, uh, what's up with that gardening glove, man? And he's like, what's, up, what's up with that green glove? He took a genuine interest. We just sitting there smoking yeah. like smokers do outside, <laughs> having conversation. And I was like, oh, I was like, I was like, oh, my wife doesn't know that I smoke. And uh, so, I, so I wear it so she can't smell it. Bro, this dude looked at me <laughs> like he felt sorry for me, as if we had reversed roles, <laughs> as if I was the homeless one, not knowing where my next meal was coming from, and he was the one with the home, et cetera. And he says something to me 
that set me off on a positive trajectory. He looked at me and he said, yo, man, you got to figure that out. <laughs> what he was an angel that day. He said, you got to figure that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a poignant, powerful moment. Cause that's to your point. I wasn't sharing those things. I was keeping everything to myself. I had to go about it alone and that's if there's something that we and and i knew this and so it's not just like there was a new thing that i knew that i had to i had to uh talk to people and therapy is important and coaching is important you were in my life at that time i could have called you at any time but there was some shame there was some embarrassment sure that was going on so it wasn't like for lack of know-how it was just a lack of willingness right we all know what we should do in so many regards of our life. But the question is, are you doing it? And I wasn't doing it. And that's why I had a camel crush smoking habit that nobody <laughs> knew about. And the day my wife found the camel crush cigarettes in my car. How'd you that would, go? How'd that go? <laughs> uh, first, it, you know, it was actually pretty fascinating because she found them in, in a place where I was lazy, didn't hide them good enough. Um, she found them and I thought she was going to be angry at me, James. Mm -hmm. And I just had this moment when I was like, I've been smoking. Um, I'm really stressed out. Uh, I don't have much else to really say about it. I need help. And I'm, and, and she was more concerned about me than, than like mad at me. That's a real, let's be, listen, she didn't find some pipe. I wasn't free basing. I wasn't uh, (laughs) having, You you were better at hiding those. (laughs) exactly uh but what i appreciated in that moment was the concern was the care like what 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 can what what can we do um so that that was a long-winded story uh but some background but she didn't know she really didn't know man my the gardening glove man wow there you go and the gum man i was i was chewing gum like i own stock in wrigley Like a Cubs fan. Um, Brushing brushing to the gums bleeding. Yeah, right. You know, it's interesting. Brene Brown talks about, Brene Brown talks about, uh, you know, talks a lot about shame and vulnerability and whatnot. And and vulnerability, she talks about how vulnerability for vulnerability's sake is not effective. It's not a good teaching tool, right? You shouldn't just like walk in front of your meeting and be like, I got something to say, Um, right? Like it's not like vulnerability for vulnerability's sake is not uh, always the move. And and we see that a lot on social media as well. And what you said was so powerful where it was like, do you mean to tell me that if you're having a tough day, the first thing you're doing is picking up the phone and not going to your contacts list, but instead going to your Instagram, your TikTok and your whatnot, right? It's like, when you pick up your phone to do something because you're in an emotional place, what's your first move? And right now, right now, I think you're right. There's a lot of people that jump onto Facebook and jump onto whatnot. And, uh, and it's a little like screaming into a giant cave. And I, I don't know how much it helps, but I think it's, it's fascinating the way that it all comes back to validation, right? Some of the most powerful things, a powerful gift that we can give somebody is for them to feel heard, seen, and respected, and, uh, and so that, I mean, that's what validation does, right? Um, validation makes you feel all of those things and that's why it's so powerful. Um, but hearing your story and the way that you articulated it, uh, was incredible. Uh, and, and I think, I mean, shout out to this dude, how many times have we had, I mean, 
I've had a number of conversations where I've just come upon somebody or someone has come upon me and they dropped the nugget and I said, you will impact the rest of my life, right? This, these 30 seconds, this minute and a half, this whatever is one of the most powerful moments of my, uh, you know, just, just something that's going to stick. It's, it's yeah. powerful. I've had that so much and not only like, and by the way, even I said homeless dude, like this was a person without a home, right? But even the labels that we put on people, I don't know this man's story, changed my life. I'm sure like you traveling, you know, prior to the pandemic, traveling nonstop for speaking engagements. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many folks of cars I've gotten into, of the Uber drivers or Lyft drivers that the, the most, I, I feel like I have angels when I get in those cars. I've had some of the most powerful, amazing conversations. And just briefly with people picking up the phone to, uh, to, to cry into um, not only are they deciding to share that information into the phone immediately, you know what else they're doing? They take the time to pick music. Like they're on <laughs> the soundtrack. It's like, I mean, it's like, it's like you, you are like doing takes. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's impressive. I, I do. We joke about this, but I do really invite folks. If they are going through a challenging time, there, there's someone on their phone that they can reach out to James over the, over the course of our friendship, man, you and I have been able to be that for each other. I know someone, you're someone that's not going to judge me. Mm -hmm. You're someone that also, this is why, this is why people, I don't think pick up the phone, James, because yes, yeah, sometimes all we're going to do as friends is listen. And I know there are moments I know, like all I'm doing today is listening. Mm -hmm. But there are other times when I'm going to ask a question. Very rarely am I going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to ask a question. But I think a lot of times people don't pick up the phone because they do what you're great at. And that is you keep it real. Mm -hmm. You keep it honest. You're not going to flub and say, oh, it's going to be okay. It might not be okay. Like, we, <laughs> you know, it might not be okay. You know, um, some people, maybe it wasn't meant to be. Oh, it wasn't meant to be. Or did you, did you give up on that project? Because, uh, you, you know, there's so many different things we tell people. But I know you're one of those people that, that keep it real. And sometimes you say some of those tough things that are hard to hear, but that are needed to hear. Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope. And the moment I'm like, no, oh God, here we go. Truth serum. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's the way that you deliver. You got, I mean, you know, this is someone who has uh, an extreme amount of emotional intelligence. Uh, you got to know when the right time to insert yourself is right. Like you just, you got to feel it. And then you got to, you got to jump in. My buddy, Jeff Des uh, talks about it uh, kind of like, like we're doing double Dutch, right? Like you gotta, you gotta wait for that moment. You gotta count yourself in, you know what I'm saying? You're like, okay, okay, okay. Um, right. And like, so sometimes it's like that where it's like, this is the moment where, you know, maybe truth, truth needs to come in <laughs> or something and like and that. And it's a gift. It is a gift to be able to know when to jump in. Otherwise you can get tangled up in those ropes. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. And Tony, before we get tangled up in any more ropes, I think we're at a good spot right now to jump into a quick segment. Are you down to have a little fun with me, brother? Always. Amazing. Antonio, we're going to do a segment of the show right now that's called Things You Didn't Know About Me But Are Now Glad That You Did. Something you should know, Antonio, is that the name of the segment changes every single time, but the, the meaning stays the same. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Antonio, here's how it'll work. You and I will each share a couple of random facts about ourselves. I'll go first rather than just throwing you onto the spot, and uh, and we'll just chop it up a little bit, and then uh, and then we'll come back because I got some questions about your book uh, for sure. <clears throat> so, Antonio, let me uh, – you in? You in? I'm all in. Let's go, baby. All right. So I hate everything having to do with skis, whether they are snow skis or water skis. I have tried uh, snow skiing three times. It has ended 
horribly all three times. Uh, and uh, the last time that I tried it, I fell on the bunny hill and I couldn't untwist my legs. And the bunny hill is like before the actual hill, right? Like there's no, there's no lift up the bunny hill. The jump, the jump's only 15 feet, right? <laughs> like you learn to like practice stopping or maybe do a light turn. Like I fell on the bunny hill and got so pretzeled up that I started crying. And I was like, you know what? Maybe that's it. And also much to the chagrin of my aunt and uncle uh, who have a house up on a beautiful lake in upstate New York. I have tried water skiing. I don't even know how many times at this point, and I have never gotten up and I still have the water in my nose from failure. And uh, so, uh, so me and skis don't get along. All right. I dig it. I like those. <laughs> and uh, I feel you on the skiing, by the way, it's not my cup of tea either. I'd rather sit in the lodge and have some hot cocoa. Uh, I'll share a couple of things with you. Uh, first and foremost, I think uh, native English speakers uh, should not say croissant with an accent. <laughs> when someone when someone says croissant, it really bothers me because my whole thing is this: if you're gonna go all croissant, why aren't you rolling your R on burrito? Mm. It's mm. a double standard. You're gonna go all croissant, like yeah. But let me get a, an Americanos with room. Let me get a blueberry muffin. Let me croissant. Like, yeah, stop, right? If you're if you're not rolling your R on burrito, you cannot say croissant. Second. Uh, random little fact. Uh, that, that, this is going to be interesting. As, once I had kids, James, this may happen to you. I started carrying a pocket knife. It's all of a sudden uh, the Michigan boy in me that I grew up everywhere I, where I'm from a Michigan man. Where, you know, where I was raised not far from a NASCAR speedway. Not that mm-hmm. that has anything to do with anything, but everyone I knew kind of my life, men, the, the men in my life carried pocket knives. Now it's, I'm pretty much guaranteed at all times of my life to have a pocket knife with me. Um, so, and I think you should, matter of fact, I know what I'm getting you when your baby's born. Uh, can you, I'm not going to tell you, uh, get ready. Uh, third, third, third thing I'll say real quick. I got time to get another one in real quick. Yeah, we can bounce, but we can play tennis, man. I mean, but you can keep going to whatever you want to do. Go ahead. Okay. This is, might be a little contentious. I don't even know if this actually aligns with this All segment, right. but right. I believe that the British version, uh, of the office is the only one that people should watch. Ooh. Okay, you're thinking Michael Scott, get out of here. Shots, uh, shots fired. And, uh, shots fired. David Brent, Ricky Gervais. Wow, okay. Now, did you give the American version of The Office a, its due diligence? And you're just like, this isn't it. I'm fortunate that, like a lot of Americans, unfortunate that I saw the British version first. And that's just my sense mm. of humor. Then when I started watching the American version, it just... As much as I appreciate the characters and acting on it, it just wasn't my cup of tea. wasn't my speed. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. This is, uh, you're right. I think you just split the audience a little bit. That's, yeah. uh, that's totally fine. Um, I have only seen a handful of episodes of the office. I have some friends that have been on it, which is super cool. Um, and so I watched to support them. Um, I have a, one of my best friends here in Minneapolis is a diehard office fan. Um, she would normally be on here commenting, but she's actually downstairs talking to Tina right now. Um, and so, uh, uh, but I can't wait to go downstairs and tell her this after the show. Um, but, uh, uh, okay. There you go. You know, you talked about pet peeves and first off the croissant is hysterical. Does this, does this also bother you when like people who have Italian last names, when they're talking about Italian food, they're having a normal conversation like, yeah, you know, we went and bought some bread and then we got the managotta, and then we got the risotto, right? Like do you, do you can't stand when people like 
just put random words like that oh. into it? Oh, let me tell you something, man. That, that, that's why I carry a pocket knife. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding there. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't get it. I don't appreciate it. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not mad at him. I'm not mad at him. Do what you got to do. Uh, but I think we can do You are judging it. them, though. Oh, heavily. <laughs> Heav- heavily judging. Do you also dislike people who call it Target instead of Target? Oh, my goodness. Uh, we're going down a rabbit. I'm, I'm going to have a lot of enemies right now. Yeah, let's just go with Target, y'all. Let's just go with Target. Shout out Minneapolis headquarters. Uh, let's just go with Target. There you go. There you go. Uh, my friend calls it the Red Circle Boutique. I said, this we're taking it too far at this point. At this point, we're taking it too far. Hey, listen, uh, they've, done, they've done a great job. They're, I like the Red Circle Boutique. They've got some amazing designers in there doing some cool things. Uh, but Target, <laughs> just just not for my my liking. That's it. That's it. You shared a pet peeve. I'll share one as well. Um, I can't stand when guys tie their ties too short. Ooh. Your tie is not an arrow for your belly button. Okay. Get it to, we all know where the belly button is. We don't need a highlight for it. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so like get it to the belt buckle, but then also don't go past the belt buckle. That's somehow more awkward than a shorter tie. And so just like what's going on here, get the t- switch to a bow tie if you can't handle the knot. I'm with you 100% on that. And you're making me laugh because I'm thinking about all those times I put a tie on in a hotel uh, bathroom and I've like had to retie it like four different times to get the right mm-hmm. length. Length, I was about to say length is important and we'll just leave it there. There it is. Go team. <laughs> I think that's a good place to uh, move on. And uh, <laughs> so uh, let's run from that quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, Antonio, it's it's cool because when you um, you have been through a number of different changes in your world, as you just mentioned, right? You're working in the, in the corporate world and craft after being a, a, a college athlete, and then you're moving to the city and and hearing a whole bunch of no's before you start getting in, getting booked, Nickelodeon, NBC, and then and then you have this amazing coaching experience. And then to transform into your own coaching profession as well. Uh, and then on top of that, you became a speaker. And now I mean, you just got a lot of things in the air. And it's incredible because you haven't ever just been like, I'm going to do one thing and keep going, right? Like you, I mean, and there's there's something noble about that, right? It's kind of the, an older generation idea of like, well, I got a job at the Cracker Factory, and so I'm going to retire from the Cracker Factory. Right. There's something noble about loyalty. Uh, for sure. And I think there's something to be learned from that as well. Not necessarily we need to go back into it, but uh, but I think there is something to be to be learned from it a little bit. And so for you, you come out and you are you you have this book that's dropping um, and it's called Stop Living Your Life on Autopilot. Why? What? Where are you seeing that people live their life on autopilot? Where is that coming up that you were like, you know what? I've met enough folks that are in the same whatever, whatever routine. Uh, and it's time that folks need to break it. Like what, what inspired this? Yeah. Um, well, I will say what's interesting, James, is that even though I've had quote unquote different chapters in my life and different careers, the through line for all of them is it me being a storyteller. I was a storyteller when I was going into a Winn-Dixie grocery stores in South Florida trying to sell products. I was a storyteller when I was a host on Nickelodeon. I was a storyteller when I was a journalist journalist with NBC, PBS, BET. Of course, as a coach, uh, of course, on stages, I'm a storyteller. So if there is a through line in all those. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been that. Um, when I transitioned from doing a lot of college speaking and doing corporate speaking, a constant refrain I heard after my talks with people would come up to me 
And they basically would say, I'm not as happy as I look on the internet. I'm not as successful as I look on LinkedIn. Of so many men and women had done everything that society told them to do. They got, they went to got their education. They got that quote unquote good job that, that I talked about earlier. Maybe they got married. They had kids. They got the house. They got the garage. They got the 401k. Maybe even they got some mute, some, some index funds that are treating them pretty good right now. Right. They did everything that they were supposed to do yet. They're feeling a, a, a void. They're feeling empty inside. And so many people have found that they were living on autopilot in many ways. They feel like they've been on a conveyor belt, a conveyor belt that, as we go back in history, society built for us everything that they accomplished, that that education, that good job, getting that mortgage, all these different things. Let's be clear, that has been planned. It's no, it's not happenstance that these things happen and you're encouraged to do certain things, et cetera. So at some point, people realized they took their hands off of the wheel and started living by default. I like to tell this story. Um there's an article in the New York Times and, and two, and this really gets to the, the, the emphasis of the book and what it really digs into. There's a story in the New York Times about four years ago, and they're interviewing two uh, co-founders of a, of a fashion label. And they had started this company in, the, in New York in the, in the 90s and the 2000s in New York City when New York was a little bit different in the 90s than it was in the, the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And at some point during the interview, one of the co-founders said, oh, man, I miss the old New York romanticizing about what it was like back, you know, it was a little bit more grimy, a little bit more grit, et cetera. And the, his co-founder corrected him, the other one, and said, you don't miss the old New York. What you miss is the old you. You Ooh. miss who you were during that time, how you mm-hmm. showed up, your optimism, your hustle, how bold you were, how courageous you were, all those things have gone on to the sidelines while you pursued this quote unquote good. And I had experienced that myself where everything on paper on the resume looked good, but I realized I stopped doing some of those things that got me to where I, where I was, you know, just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to write this book to talk about some things that we can do to start living on purpose again, if you will, to, to shift gears. And to be clear, this book isn't about quitting your job and moving to Bali. <laughs> right. It's not a, it's not about ending your relationship. It's not about moving to a new city. I don't believe in geographic mm-hmm. cures or new profession cures. I believe that we can find happiness right where we are, but we have to put our hands back on the wheel. Once again, do some of those things that we stopped doing. If I may, I like to think about it like this for people in their professions. And this is a great way to know if you're on autopilot. If, for those folks who are getting, thankfully employed right now, I'd like you to think back and this may be tough during the pandemic, but it still will work. Think back to the last 30 days at work. And, and based on the last 30 days at work, would your company rehire you? Mm-hmm. Just based on the last 30 days, yeah. right? I like to ask people how much, think back, now think back to when you interviewed for that job and how fired up you were. Think about when you got that phone call for the second interview. Think about that day you got the email or you got the phone call that said you got the job. Think about how you showed up that first week on the job, that first month, that first year. Now ask yourself, how much of that man or woman still exists? How Mm. fired up are you, right? Of course, it naturally goes away, but there are things we can do to reactivate that. Quickly, relationships, man. Based on, folks about to get uncomfortable, based on the last 30 days of your relationship, if you're married, got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, if your partner had to make a decision to recommit to you based on the last 30 days, would they immediately say yes? Mm-hmm. 
would they? <laughs> I can tell you many times over the course of my life, James' answer would have been uh, would have been no. Mm-hmm. Especially there are times when I was like in India doing keynotes when my wife's at home with our twins by herself for a couple of weeks, right? I mean, there are times, you know, so, and then we can even think back to, remember when we first knew we had a crush on that person and we decided to get the audacity, the nerve to ask them out on a date? Remember all the time you took planning where you were going to go on that first day? Remember how interest, interested you were on that first day? Remember the courting process that took place? Remember those handwritten? I mean, how much of that still shows up? You know, so we've stopped doing a lot of the things that got us to where we are. I'm not saying we have to do everything and bring everything back, but there are some key things that can make a big difference. So I hope that that answered your question. Oh, it did, man. It did. Uh, and it got, it got me excited as well, for sure. And I think, I mean, you know, I've heard you talk about the 30 day concept before and it's still, uh, I mean, it's we're we got a new 30 days, so I need to think about it again. <laughs> it's always, it's always a good concept to come back to uh, for sure. So Antonio, what is, what was the time when you were operating on autopilot? What was the time for you where you were just like, uh, you know, I don't know. You were just kind of like going with the flow. Was that, was that during your craft times? Like when, like when, when was that for you when you were just kind of, you know, you just kind of, I guess for lack of a better word, felt like you settled. There was a time as recent as five, five years ago, four years ago, frankly, uh, in, in my speaking career. There was a time as an entrepreneur, and you know this very well as a professional, that sometimes there's no guaranteed paycheck every two weeks. There's no guaranteed insurance or pension plan, all these different things. But there was a time when I was on autopilot in my speaking career when I kind of treated it, James, like it was a hobby Mm -hmm. in many ways as opposed to a profession. And if I was my own boss, which I was, and I looked at my efforts over the past 30 days, would I have rehired me for that job? I don't know, because I was putting more energy and emphasis on social media sometimes than I was making phone calls and building those strong relationships and making leads and following and following up the power of following up. Um, And I wasn't, again, I was fortunate that things were still coming in, but I knew things could have came in even more, could have been even better, more successful for me. But I was treating it for a moment when I was coasting, when I was smoking those cigarettes, a little bit like, a hobby. I, I forgot that I that I chose to do that. I think sometimes we forget that I chose this. When we're mm-hmm. complaining, when we're frustrated, when we're unhappy, whether it's about our job, whether it's about our lot in life, whether it's about our marriage, whether it's about our mortgage, at some point we have to look in the mirror and say, I chose this. Yeah, right. And most people are unwilling to do that. And I had to come to that point, like I chose this. So either you're going to need to get a nine to five job that has a paycheck that shows up every two weeks or you have to get some things in order. It wasn't for lack of know-how. It wasn't for a lack of skill set. It wasn't for lack of relationships, et cetera. It was for a lack of, um, I had to recommit to my standards and my values. And that's really what it's a lot about. When we talk about stop living on autopilot, man, one, we have to remember, and I had to remember that you have a say in this. At some point, we, 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 we fall prey to everything. We forget, we become the victim. We point our fingers at everyone else, but we forget that we have saying this right mm-hmm. and i had to remember that um we have to remember that as much as people care about us our family our friends our spouse our, our parents our professors you name it our bosses they care but but no one can care more than we do and if someone cares more about our life and our goals and our aspirations something's wrong it's great that they care but if someone else cares more something's something's wrong so it was as recent as just a few years ago where i was coasting um and i was on cruise yeah. control 
And, yeah. and, and for those folks that are maybe experiencing that right now, I, I invite you to come at this from a place of not beating yourself up, but come at it from a place of getting curious, come at it from a place of, of wondering, come at it from a place of, Hmm, as opposed to being aggressive and beating yourself up that I'm really good at doing and come from a place of compassion and see what those next steps you can take to slowly uh, turn things around if you choose to. Yeah. Yeah, that's real. Where are the places in life where we allow our, to give our, where we allow compassion to also not just be something other people can give to us, but we can give to ourselves as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's beautiful. You know, Antonio, I got I got uh, another question for you, and it kind of goes along the same line of this. But a lot of times in people's lives, fear is a driver, right? And fear is a big driver. And fear is what often allows individuals uh, to stay comfortable, to stay in autopilot, because there's something powerful about security, right? And we we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We got we got safety and security down here at the bottom, and we're good. We're taken care of. And for most people that's good enough. And, you know, in some ways I, I can understand that and can respect that um, for not, but not everybody is, is into that, but a lot of times it's fear that holds us in those places for you, Antonio, you are someone who is I don't, it, to spend time with you and to get to, uh, to get to, to experience your brain. I mean, even as we are right now, there are points where it is, I don't know. I'll call it intimidating for me sometimes because I'm like, man, I wish I was a quarter as articulate as this man, or I wish I had the word packaging that he does for the things that he says. And man, it seems like everything is so put together and on point. Um, and, uh, and it's really, it's a joy to spend time with you. It is always, uh, it is always something that I look forward to. And I know that I will leave different than when I showed up and it's beautiful, um, but I'm wondering for you, you know, as we think about living our lives on autopilot and fear occasionally being a reason why we stay on autopilot, are there any fears that you have and how do they show up? First, I appreciate everything you just said. And I, and for me, it's a reminder for a guy that can, can find himself in some insecure moments that sometimes we have to remind ourselves to see others the way other people see us. Mm -hmm. what, what a gift for just the, what, what you just shared. Just now, like we have to see ourselves the way others see us. And what a gift that is, because I see you, man, the exact same way. So I just appreciate you for, sh for sharing that. Uh, I have a, a big fear. Uh, first, I think I want to set this up by saying this. I think, you know, we talk about, I think there can be three dates on a, on a tombstone. Mm -hmm. They were born, the day we give up, and the day we die. That's, I really do believe there can be three dates on a tombstone. The day we are born, the day we give up, the day we stop trying, and the day we die. If there is a fear that I have, James, it is one day bumping into someone randomly at an airport or on the, on the busy street of Minneapolis or New York City or some random place. And like, Antonio, Antonio. And they knew me back, say, in the early 2000s, maybe the kid that was hungry just moved to New York City or even, maybe even later. And they knew me when I had that vigor, that excitement, that optimism, like there wasn't nothing this guy wasn't going to do. Like things may be tough, but let's make some things happen. Let's lean into it. Yeah. But they would, I'd bump into this person. They would see me. We'd have this conversation. And at some point I could see something in their eyes, even though they don't directly say it, but their eyes are basically saying, what happened? What happened, man? Yeah. What happened to that dude I once knew? 
What happened to that dude that was optimistic? What happened to that dude that was going to do X, that was going to do Y? What happened to that dude that wasn't going to settle? What happened? And they wouldn't say it out loud. But you would be able to see it in their demeanor and their shift in their energy. So if there's a fear that I have, be bumping into someone who I knew back when. Mm-hmm. Back when it could be, it doesn't need to be 20 years ago or 15 years ago. Yeah. But they, you see that look of resignation on their fight, their face, like, oh, he, he, he threw in the towel. Oh, he, he gave up. Oh, and that, that would break my heart, man. That would truly break my heart. And it's, it's a weird fear, mm-hmm. but it's one that truly drives me. And I'm fortunate to be close enough to my family and, and friends that these are the men and women that, would say, yo, son, what's up? Let, let's talk about what's going on. Let's talk yeah. about your decisions, et cetera. But it's something about a, a stranger or an old friend that you know that when, when you can see it in their eyes. And, and I, I think I've had some of those conversations over the years when I was going through some tough spells when you could tell they were like, oh, he's going through something right now. But they just didn't feel comfortable enough. It wasn't that moment to really say something. Mm-hmm. So that that's a fear that I don't want to say it drives me. I don't wake up every single day like, I don't want to bump into Deborah in the O'Hare one day. <laughs> it doesn't drive me like that, but it's something that uh, that's on my mind every now and then. Yeah. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? I do. I do. You know, I mean, there's a, I, I think I've said on here before that, you know, in my brain, I struggle. I feel like inside of my body, there's this wrestle, this wrestling match between legacy and presence. And it's a lot of what you're talking about right now, where, you know, it's inter- it, it, it's it's fascinating for me to think about because like I care so much about like what's going to be said when I'm gone. Right. And like and uh, or or just before I'm gone or whatnot. Right. Like if we had if we had an opportunity to to watch our eulogy and I know I know some people do a, a living a living funeral. I think that's an interesting concept, um, but uh, or a, a living uh, eulogy. But I am. Uh, I am in constant flux with what that means because like, I want to take advantage of this moment. Right. I mean, you know, Tina and I have a, a, a baby on the way and it's super exciting. We just entered the third trimester and there's part of me that's like, you know, a good father is a present father. And like my brain is often, you know, 10 steps ahead. Like, well, what's this going to be here? What's that, you know, like, I mean, I'm already imagining like, all right, who we who we playing golf with? All right, who we going here with? All right, what colleges we looking at? Right, I'm like, I don't even know how to change a diaper yet. <laughs> like, I gotta I gotta bring it back, and I don't want to miss those moments because I was so forward thinking, right? But then on the the other side of it, it's also this idea of like I'm I'm trying to live a life that's a really badass story, you know, like you were talking about your friend earlier, live a life full of interesting stories, and so. So that's why what you're talking about definitely resonates with me. And I'd I'd be curious to throw it back to you of like, as someone who cares a little bit, you know, we'll call that legacy or we'll call that the way others see us or, you know, how whatever shoe fits better for you. How do you balance those dreams or those goals with being in the moment? It's great because I I love you bring up the kids and and your spouse as well, because I truly believe that we are no good to them if we're hiding our gifts. If we're not alive doing what we were supposed to do, I believe we're no good. I could go get a nine to five, right? Uh, But I know for a fact that that would kill me in some way internally. And my wife and my kids would not get me fully the way they need to get me. Even if that means that sometimes daddy's gone for seven days straight. 
you're going to enjoy that that three days of that as you got more than you enjoy that seven if I'm alive doing what I want to do. That's why, that's, why that, that's just a quick aside. I think there are things we still have to do. Yes, there's some changes I make to my schedule. I, maybe I'll do more higher paying gigs as opposed to a lot smaller, lower paying gigs, et cetera. That's another thing. Um, in terms of, and I got to rewind real quick when I talk about that person bumping into us and like say oh what happened it would be it doesn't need to be always the heavy stuff it'd be the equivalent of me bumping to you in 2021 now that you have a kid and all that kind of stuff and the moment would be like yo i thought you was gonna do diner talks man you've been talking (laughs) about diner talks for a long time but you know it it can be as simple as that but now it it happened and i know what this brings you the same way with my podcast like i've been talking about my podcast forever and i'm so listen you know I've, I got a sponsor for my podcast. It's me. This podcast is brought to you by Antonio Nez. Payment goes out of my pocket. But if I didn't do that, I would not be alive in that capacity. Um, I think I'm, I'm missing the boat on your question in terms of what was it, how to balance the fear? Legacy versus presence. Legacy versus presence. Especially when uh, it comes to like, you know, like living on autopilot or whatnot. And, you know, yeah. Because you're talking about these far out conversations yeah. that you may have with somebody. But yeah, also not wanting to miss the moments. You know, it's interesting. In my mind went here. It's heavy, but I know you're okay with uh, me keeping it real. My, my brain went here for some reason. Um, my father, 83 years old, uh, Al, uh, has dementia. And he's in a nursing home. He can no longer talk. Mm. Um, stuck to a bed, can't walk, none of that kind of fun stuff. Uh, this is a, one of the, you know, a guy that I can't, just breaks in my heart that this is where he's at right now towards the end of his life in his eighties. When I talk about presence and and, and legacy and and it makes me think about my dad and all the trips that I've taken to see him uh, at that nursing home. Sometimes I just fly him for a day or two days or something like that. And even though he can't talk, I already know what he's saying to me when he sees me walk. If, 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 I, if I have that moment of recognition, that quick moment of recognition where he recognizes me when I walk in the door, I see a glimmer of like, hey, but then it kind of will go away. But I also know what Al Nevs would say to me. And he's probably thinking of that moment. What are you doing here? Be with your family. Mm-hmm. Like that. I'm OK. Like he's like, I'm OK. You. He's always about handle your family, handle your business. I'm going to be OK. So. I don't know why my brain went there, James, but it made me th- it made me think about that, not feeling guilty about certain things. And even how my dad, even this moment right now, you know, that's extremely vulnerable for him and, you know, sad for me. I know he would be saying, what are you doing here getting on a plane? I know you, I know you, what your life is like. I know you're on the road nonstop already. You need to make a decision to not make these trips here. I- I'm going to be okay. Yeah your family's important that, that that's what you need to be with. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that's where my brain went. Ah, oh, man. I think it was beautiful. Got heavy up in this joint, right? I love it. I love it, Antonio. I love it. And I respect the hell out of you. And I'm so excited. I'm so pumped that you wanted to come through the diner. My guy, this is Antonio Neves. 
the man, the myth, the legend coming out of LA uh, now because he's fancy like that. Uh, <laughs> <You're> funny. <laughs> don't let those humble, don't let those humble Michigan upbringings fool you. No, I'm just yeah. playing. Uh, Antonio, yeah. it's been so special getting to kick it with you here in the diner, sharing a milkshake with you, hearing the wisdom, uh, being excited about this project that you got coming out. Right, you got the podcast, uh, the best thing, uh, which is awesome, and uh, and and also you got this book, right? Stop living on autopilot and. And it is, it's always inspiring to get to spend time with you and, and hear uh, your wisdom, your thoughts, and, and obviously your stories as well. You are truly a naturally gifted storyteller, my brother. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Uh, this was a joy. I've been looking forward to doing this with you. I can't wait to be able to sit down with you in person. I'm so glad you're doing this. It's amazing. And by the way, uh, the episode of the Best Thing Podcast with James Robolata is one of the top five episodes in terms of downloads. It's a fantastic episode. Uh, but thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. And your pocket knife will arrive soon. Listen, if it's not Swiss Army, I don't want it. Oh, um, man, no, we're my- not messing no Swiss Army, man. We're keeping it real, man. <laughs> My father carries around a pocket knife everywhere he goes as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that would be, uh, it'd be special to have one. Uh, so yeah, but uh, I'll take it. I will take your gift, my brother, for sure. Uh, you never know when you need those things, especially now that we're not traveling. I don't got to worry about like accidentally bringing it to the airport. <laughs> yeah, you'll get it confiscated immediately. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, I love it so much, brother. Well, thank you so much. If you're willing to hang out for just a little bit, man, we'd love to do a, a quick Q&A with you. Are you down for that? I'm here, man. Let's do it, please. Amazing, amazing. Y'all, thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast episode of Diner Talks with James. As always, if you're interested in hearing the Q&A with Antonio, make sure you hop onto my YouTube page, type in James T. Robo, and his episode will pop up. Thank you so much for being here, my friends, and thanks for listening. Y'all take care and have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. (laughs) If you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now, you're going to make me blush. (laughs) Also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.